Hey everybody, welcome to Album vs. Album. I'm your host, Kale Judy, and with me as always is the effervescent Lucas Lawrence. Effervescent. Hello, and uh, thank you for listening. If you noticed at the beginning of this episode, we have a new theme song. and We sure do. Before we even get into this, I think with most guests, maybe we'll have more uh, pomp and circumstance, but the man who recorded that new theme song and other songs you're going to hear tonight is Matt Walco, who is our guest, Matthew Walco. Welcome. Hey guys, what's up? Thanks for having me. Very honored. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. Honored wow. to be the first guest to Album versus Album. Well, it's yeah. only natural because most of the time when Kale and I were talking about albums, you were one of the people we were doing it with, so it just kind of makes sense. I think we reference you in gratuitous four, yeah. <laughs> five episodes. Is it called name dropping if, if you're not a celebrity? No. It's, You're a minor celebrity. No, I'm really not. In my life, no. you are. <laughs> I have Absolutely multiple not. CDs that you've made. You know, I, it's it's awesome. Basically, every time I listen to your podcast, it's like hanging out with you guys. And uh, so, hey, this is just the best. Kind of depressing, though, when it's like listening to the two friends hanging out, but you're not there. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're kind of a minor celebrity because you are one of the people in my life. Actually, Kale, you are often this, too. Someone who gets not just a first name, but also a last name. Like, like mm. because there's so many Matthews around, you are Matt Walco or Matthew Walco. Oh, always. I see what you're saying. I don't always say Kale Judy all the time, but sometimes I say it just because it's such, such a beautiful Sounds name. So good. I thought you meant because I have like two first names as a name, which is also a... Yeah, because you know lots of people named Walco, right? As a <laughs> yeah, first name? Exactly. Well, I also, Matthew was the most common name of the 80s, so... Yeah. It's like it's Charlie like, Brown. I, guess, yeah. I see what you're saying. It's yeah. like a, the full name... Yeah, uh, is like the name. Yeah. When I was born, my mom and dad had it down to like three names, and one of them was Matthew. But my aunt was like, "Do Lucas," because these like five other people you know named their kid Matthew, and so that's why I'm not named Matthew. Otherwise, we'd all be really confused tonight. <laughs> who's who? We talking to? <laughs> I mean, it's hard to argue with that. You know, <laughs> it's hard to argue with that. Um, so, uh, what's going on, everybody? Matt, what's uh, what's happened? You know, living through a once in a lifetime pandemic with a sixteen month old, uh, just trying to stay afloat. But uh, yeah, um, I got jury duty summoned recently, that so that's the so thing. Wild. Um, that's wild. Yeah, trying to figure out Your how civic to duty. catch COVID or something so I can get out of that. But um, <laughs> yeah, anyways, that's, that's a too that's soon joke. On. It's your civic duty. But everyone I know when they get jury duty is like, I got to get out of this. It sounds like... I got to not do this. Well, it sounds like the kind of thing you could be in for a couple months. Yeah, this one's... I mean, this is minimum three weeks, but it can be 10, 16, 20 weeks. I had to go to court once for a minor car accident I was in, and it took two weeks. And I had to be there every day as my representative. But uh, what's going on with you guys? Well, uh, Lucas and I had a... An outdoor cabin hang uh, with a few pals this past weekend, and we splashed around in the lake. And actually, we were the first people to go in the lake, and everyone followed suit. Trendsetters. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I would just want to highlight: we were up at the cabin uh, with some friends. I would like to highlight that we played a game called sardines. Have you played sardines? <sighs> One person hides. Yes, I played it when I was seven. Like, yeah. <laughs> well. 
turns out when you do it as a grown-up and you add alcohol, it's really it's creepy. fun again. <laughs> the, the thing about sardines is I have not played that since I was in a youth group. When we would get like, yeah. the whole youth group would sleep over in the church. And then like the youth leaders would hide. And if you found one, you, had to, you like, would hide with them. Which now even sounds weird to say out loud. Yeah. But hey, I remember... Hey, dude, come here. Come hide with me, kid. <laughs> the girl that you had a crush on, if you got a chance to like sardine with her. Oh, damn. <laughs> Life changer. I just remember the butterflies. Oh. Hey. <laughs> what a transition. Segway. That's a segue if I ever heard one. Well, one of the reasons I chose this record was because we had not done a female artist yet. That's one of them. We hadn't done country either, but the main reason I chose this record is because this record has been on repeat in my house for two years. So Damn. I just I know this record really well. My wife and I, we we both love music, but we both love music for different reasons, and we both love music that sounds different. But there's every few years, there's a crossover the Venn diagram meets, and there's albums like Golden Hour. And, uh, you know, this is an album for me that I'm still not really sick of. There's, we'll get into it. There's some songs I'm sick of, but generally, I just, I think this is a masterpiece. And I, uh, it's yeah. just, it's meant a lot. And, uh, you know, actually, it's funny. The album came out, and a few days after it came out, uh, my friend Brody had texted me and said, oh, I think you'll like this record. And you, Matt. Matt Walco, you had been, you were one of the people who told me as well. You said, oh, you might like this record. And what's funny about this record is I thought it, it's got to be something unique because like her old stuff, we listened to it a bit here and there, but you know, Mind Your Own Biscuits and Life Will Be Gravy and Dime Store Cowgirl, which I actually like that song and Merry Go Round, you know, those songs, I just, they reminded me of what I don't like about country, mm-hmm. but I always liked her voice. I always thought she seemed kind of cool and that there's maybe something there. But I feel that way about a lot of pop stars. So anyway, roundabout way, I, I wanted to talk about this mainly because I wanted to hear what you, Kale, I wanted to hear what you had to say about this record. Because I, I, I personally feel that time will be kind to this record, that this will be a record that ages well. Classic material. I, I think so, but who am I to say? I'm definitely not the... Siskel and Ebert of music. <laughs> what, what do you... I would say that uh, I remember texting both of you when we started listening to this record in preparation for the episode. And I was initially not super pumped. I was like halfway through the record on my first couple of listens. And I was like, I don't really get it. Like it's, it's, it's catchy, but... It felt pretty shallow to me. And then I listened to it more and I got like a little more context. Like I watched some interviews with her and then and I just got to know the songs more and started picking out these little treats in them and like started listening to like the narrative in the record. And you guys remember the movie Control um, about Joy Division? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The black and white yeah. movie? There's a scene where like the guy that becomes their band manager comes backstage after like an early show and he's like, I'm a believer in Joy Division and I feel like I'm a believer in Casey Busgraves. I am Damn. I believe the turnaround. Yeah. Wow. I am so into this record now. Really? really? Oh yeah. You're oh, so into it? I, I wasn't so... expecting that at all. I was not either. I'm very surprised. Yeah. Places that you 
songwriting and and there's just something like it felt like kind of settling into like a pilot leaves or something there's something yeah. comforting about it that oh, i nice. really came to enjoy yeah it's interesting when this record came out it was you know one of the aggregate uh it showed up on my feeds and i was like okay never heard of her listened to it and i was just like hit me like a ton of bricks especially that first song which we'll get into really love the record but it's been a while it's probably been a year since i've listened to it and then coming back and the it was this, it was interesting because I was like, oh, so excited about getting into this record again. And then I did, started in preparation for this episode. And I was kind of having like a cynical week. I was just a little down. And I was like, and I, and I had a cynical perspective on this record. I was just like, this is, you know, vacuous. It's shallow. These are just like, you know, the cliche tropes uh, kind of doled out. And then I also came around again and I realized that like it's so much about the mindset that you come into this record. You have to accept it for That's what true. it is. Mm-hmm. It's like and and even her journey in coming to this record, she's just in this totally blissed out place. And it's just 100 percent open and honest and she's just on cloud nine. And that's kind of where the record, you have to meet it and treat it for what it is. It's not going to be a cynical Lou Reed record. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and, I um, and I think once you do, then it kind of like opens the door into like your heart. And then there's a sort of almost like childlike um, connection you can have to what are Completely. relatively simple ideas, but are, go really deep. So this is from the Pitchfork review. Review. This is Pitchfork. Remember the meanest. Didn't it give like nine out of ten or eight and a half. Out Something of 10? like that. Yeah. yeah. It was I definitely a re- best new music. For yeah, Pitchfork. I think it got album top album of the year or something. I'll read their accolades later. But the mystical grandeur of Golden Hour creates a magnetic effect as Casey Musgraves sings simply about the world, as if she's the first person to notice, and you're the first one she's telling. Mm. It's so that's perfect. It's just like. There's an innocence to it, like you've said that. Mm-hmm. It, it you almost have to like open up a little bit to it because it's almost, it's almost embarrassing at first because she just, like, oh what a world is a perfect example mm-hmm. of that feeling. It's a, if you heard that song by itself, you'd be like, that's a cheesy song, but in context, it just it grabs yeah. you. Golden Hour, uh, the title track is like that for me too. Like even now, I, that's one I have a little bit of a tough time with because it's so simple, but it's like almost like the. Um, the nucleus of the whole point of the record, where it's just like, like you said, Matt, it's mm-hmm. like the blissed out state, and and it's it is so simple, but it's deceptively simple. And like one thing I didn't really get, um, I'm like learning a bit more about her, but was I did, I had never heard of her before Golden Hour, and then I remember you told me about her, and uh, you told me about her a bit, but I didn't really listen to it. Um, but looking into like her past records, like Patrick Material and. Uh, same trailer, same, different park. Same trailer, different park. <laughs> like exactly, like that's where I was. Like it almost, they like it's just so ridiculous. Like to my mind, like because she was known for. I actually listened to um, Burn Con- One Country Kitsch. Country Kitsch, yeah. Oh, perfect, yeah. But Burn- did you make that up? No, but it's that's like she's genre. wearing, she's yodeling, and she's wearing the full attire. Yeah. And they're just like going for it, almost in a slightly ironic way. But she was, I think, known for having these very clever lyrics like she like yeah. for the cutting like cutting um the actually i would say the song burn one with john prine 
I watched a YouTube video of her playing that with him on stage. And uh, it's just, that is a great song. Like, I got to say, I quite enjoyed that one. Um, but generally, it, it felt like there's a lot of cleverness and like snark. Yeah. Um, but I didn't realize coming into this that it was like reading about her that it would have that it was weird for her to write a record of love songs like that. She totally. hadn't really done that yeah, before. Yeah, total been, change. She always had her tongue in cheek a little bit with kind of a nod to the this is I'm almost no I'm playing a character. Yeah, and it was like small town stories, kind of from like a outsider perspective and slightly sort of you know judgmental and and a little bit cynical in a way, but. But this is just like her, like just being personal, opening up and and, and taking a totally different t- different spin. I mean, I think it is interesting from a, like a music industry strategy perspective is she was not played on country radio. And that's for like a couple reasons is there's just overwhelmingly more men played on country radio than women. And then I think she was already kind of demonstrating more liberal tendencies yes. and uh, and kind of like messing with the formula a little bit. So, but then she was appealing to people who weren't really coming into country and weren't country fans, mm-hmm. but they're like, this is my one country artist that is maybe, you know, the, the one that I kind of ha- give a pass or whatever that I actually connect with. And I think, I mean, part of it is probably like advantageous and part of it is strategic to be like, well, if we're not going to be played on country radio and she doesn't really fit the mold, then let's just go full on for pop radio. And I think that that's a super interesting part about this record is it's a pop record with country sprinklings rather than a country record with pop sprinklings. Yeah. And, it, and that shift is like so key. Yeah. Something I've heard people compare the recording to is that it sort of has a almost if you took all the instruments that Tame Impala used but made a country record, it sort of has the same sound, whereas like a country record would never, like a true country record would never sound like that. Hopefully more do now. Like this is oh, kind hopefully. of... hopefully. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, um, it's interesting you say that because I think the age of Spotify and streaming has really helped certain types of artists. And I would say an artist like her, like who doesn't fit the country mold, and is in this weird kind of a in-between place, you know, kind of this weird, like, am I country? Am I not, like, musical purgatory? Mm-hmm. Where we've known many artists to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really played well for her. I wonder how much politics are playing into that divide, too. Is it just style, or is it style and, like, oh. worldview? I think you're probably right. It's probably both. I think she... I remember reading that it, for her, my understanding was, like... I, that with um, Rainbow, or Rainbows, that was the first song they sent out to country radio stations, her fifth single off the record. Mm. And it ended up charting it number 10. Um, but the the thing that was interesting about uh, her kind of take on that was like she kind of she used an analogy that like um, women are like the tomatoes in a salad. <laughs> or I think maybe you, did, maybe you texted me that, but like there was a weird... She used this weird analogy where she's like, I just don't want to kiss ass to country radio because it sounds like it's a lot of like, in like a lot of radio stations are like, that are more traditional are like, well, like she doesn't really like thank country radio at the CMAs or like she doesn't like. Oh, jeez. You know what I mean? Like they're so, like they get like almost butthurt about the fact that she's not like, you know, giving them props. And she's like, well, you haven't done anything for me. And also like, I'm not going to play your game to like get promoted. And she's apparently written rainbows for the trans community. 
she's dropped acid. Yeah, she's, well, you know, like she's uh, and she's outspoken she's against cannabis Trump. positive. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so there's, you know, <laughs> that, multiple. That was her words somewhere. <laughs> I read she was like, "I'm cannabis positive." Yeah, it's she's she's a rebel in her own way, mm-hmm. which is funny because she's so welcomed on the other side of things, like mm. the pop culture, and like, you know, the the liberal listeners they love it so but i just, wonder if that's part of the appeal is that it's like somebody from the other side who like looks at the world the same way we do but brings all the great elements of country music and you're, you probably just you probably just solved the riddle when it rains it pours but you didn't even notice it ain't Okay, so this record came out on March 30th, 2018, three days after my birthday. So, <laughs> wow. so just, just significant. Let that sink in. What a gift. I was three years old, 35, 33 years before this record came out. So just, I die that math's wrong. I was three days old, 30 years before, I don't know. Anyway, um, this record was her fourth studio album. And um, one of the big things about this record is that country music is sort of famous for having a lot of songwriters, a lot of producers, Mm -hmm. and this record is a very trimmed down record. It's mainly three people. Uh, Daniel T, who's a famous country singer-songwriter, if you look at his credits, you're like, okay, he's written like, there's just a bunch of names you recognize and then maybe a few songs you recognize. So she had a songwriter that worked with him, with her. Whoops. Um, and then Ian Fitchuk produced the record. Mm-hmm. And the three of them did almost, almost all of it. There's some mm-hmm. studio musicians brought in, but they tried to keep it to the three of them, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first record she made after, after being married, which as uh, we've recently discovered, her marriage is... It's well, consciously uncoupled. Consciously uncoupled. <laughs> we well, we'll talk about Rustin <laughs> Kelly later. But, but that, is, that is a sad bit. It's of so oh. sad, especially when you sad. see how happy she was. Yeah. So, th- and I was gonna say, and sad at the same time. <laughs> it made this whole record experience, like getting into this. The more I got into the record, the more bittersweet it was, knowing that her whole inspiration for it, and even hearing her watching her face light up, talking about. Russ and Kelly, and and knowing that they were like just got divorced a month ago, like was very also he is great. Yes, he's like for me, he's like I I, I wasn't into him before kind of looking into this. No, neither. Like Ryan Adams stand in for me since I've kind of written Ryan Adams off of my life for being a total creeper. But that but the guy's voice is so cool. I mean, yeah, and then the the dirt emo, I love that stuff. And and you nailed it, man. It's like. I was like, man, I really miss listening to Ryan Adams because I, yeah. I really liked his brand. Mm-hmm. And this is like a little bit different, but it's definitely in the same vein. Yeah. And I was just, that Mockingbird song blew me away. I was also, like, like their cover of Johnny, it was like a Johnny Cash poem that he wrote a song to. I, I can't remember the title of it, but uh, you're just like, oh, damn. Like, can you imagine 40 years of these two making music together? So one of the other things about this record that has sort of, but shrouded it in mystery was that she was experimenting with LSD during making this record. Now, I trace back to the article where she talks about it, and, she, and it was in Rolling Stone, 
and basically Mother and uh, Slow Burn. Now, Slow Burn, I find so interesting because, one, it's what a way to open a record. I think it's one of the best album openers I've heard in, in my life. It's, it's so good. It sets the tone, sets the pace, and also kind of like... A bold like, choice, too. Totally. It's mellow, but then her voice is like... It's like just audio honey dripping in your ears, and you just... And then also she's already, she kind of sets the tone. She kind of says, like, this is who I am through that whole mm-hmm. song, right? So it's, you kind of think, like, acid works well for her. Yeah, Slow Burn was apparently the last song they wrote on, in this cycle. Yeah. And, wow. uh, and yeah. it was going to be the last song on the record, and they, like, kind of demoed that. And, and then she brought it to the beginning and, like, she's, oh, what a move. Dude, <laughs> she actually said that she cut up she wrote all the songs out on, on pieces of paper and then cut them up in like in a movie and like moved them around on the floor to figure out different oh, configurations. Cool. And I was like, that's, I don't know, that's just adorable, but also like... It's also acid. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like a Wilco thing, man. Remember they used to, I think for Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, they put, they wrote a bunch of lyrics for each song and they put them in a hat and they pulled them Yeah, out. that's a Brian Edo like oblique strategies thing, I think, where you just like... I always wanted to get that yeah. Oblique Strategies, strategies yeah. card set. It's pretty sweet. I ask for it for Christmas every year, but <laughs> it's like, play it backwards. Everything is alright now Cause the sky is finally opened The rain and wind stop blowing But you're stuck out in the same old storm again Uh, okay, so another thing about this record is that almost, well, not all of it, but a bunch of it was recorded at Cheryl Crow's personal studio, which is above a horse barn. How much more country can you get? It's very country. Guinness on tap as well. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Guinness on tap? Yeah. In the studio? Yeah. I want to record that. Is it just me? I feel like Cheryl Crow is having a bit of a revival right now. Like that Haim record? Yeah. Is that gasoline and like um, those ones you're just like yeah. so show crows uh tuesday night special or whatever is that the record the first one with like uh yeah something like that. are you strong enough to be my man oh that, yeah that was the first cd i ever bought at costco that was the first cd you that ever was the bought. first cd i ever bought and uh anyways i feel like show crows like she's she's hit like the doldrums of her career and now she's being like iconic she's about to go through 10 years of being iconicized oh cool that's yeah. good I, she yeah. deserves yeah. it she deserves it she's awesome. i mean if it makes you happy totally and you know she's she's definitely strong enough <laughs> to be your woman to yeah, be your man yeah, yeah, yeah. uh okay a few of the things about this record that i just want to just just some quick fact drops this album as of may 2020 had over the equivalent of selling 80,000, 800,000 copies. Oh, wow. That's a lot for modern day. Now that, again, the numbers don't really make sense anymore because of streaming. Basically, the whole, like, you've achieved gold status. It's archaic now. They need to, like, totally revamp it. But it's good. It's big. That's a lot. Um, I'm just going to read you some of the awards she got, okay? I just have made it. Got a list here. Um, okay. Album of the Year from CMA. Apple Music. Album of the Year, Grammy Awards, Album of the Year, Best Country Album, Best Country Song for Space Cowboy, Best Country Solo Performance for Butterflies, ACM Award, uh, Album of the Year, and CMA Awards, Music Video of the Year for Rainbow. 
Wow. Um, it's not like, uh, I think in vogue, is that the term I'm using? But like, you know, it's not, um, it's not at the forefront of like what people are talking about. Like we're kind of coming back at it when it's like, uh, it's not, it's not tenant, like, you know, or something mm-hmm. where it's top of mind for everybody. And it's, it's interesting to revisit it and then try to remove all the accolades something got and just accept it as it totally. is. Totally. Well, especially when you don't know it and you, it's like when a movie comes out and they're like, it, like it won 14 Academy Awards. And mm-hmm. then you're like, movie better be really good like someone coming in to watch lord of the rings return of the king who's never seen it before mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. broke the records for the most academy awards yeah i feel sorry for that person it's uh, there there's a nice thing about like discovering something before the hype gets to it but if you can appreciate sure. it yeah after the hype then i think that's good to me so just building on what you said around who, like who the players are and stuff it's like to me this record is multiple people reaching their peak all at the same time so it's like her in terms of like her artistic vision her songwriting but then and then those two writers you mentioned as well and the producer and like ian fitchick was like uh nominated for like producer of the year bass player of the year drummer of the year guitar player of the year keeper like for the acm awards and then did you know that he produced Charles of Clay, Jackie Velasquez, and Amy Grant for this. I wrote those down because of the ones I thought were the funniest. Yeah, and the, Christian artists, but Christian Christianity and music in Nashville all have this weird crossover. Sorry, continue. No, no, and but then also from the the engineering standpoint, like Sean Everett, who's a Canadian guy from just outside Calgary, and he's just produced, co-written, engineered the killer's record that just came out a couple weeks ago but also like um alabama shakes and which is just like an incredible sounding record so he's kind of and a war on drugs sorry so this guy is like he is the kind of like the coolest mixer engineer that you could possibly have is he the long haired dude he's got dreads it's like bleached out dreads and stuff So he's kind of hitting his peak and like moving from being a, a mixer enge- um, engineer to a producer. And this is the record that basically like pushes. So he's also worked on like Vampire Weekend, Hain, Jim James, Jenny Lewis. And then Serban uh, Ganea, he was the guy who did both of the singles, so like High Horse and Butterflies. But if you look at that guy's background, he is responsible for 25% of like the number uh, the like the Billboard number one singles over the past decade. Like at one time, oh, he wow. has like 13 out of 20 singles in the top 20 of Billboard. Like, so they they went full out to get like the best people to work on this. Even from a mastering standpoint, Kelly, you love this. Like the guy who did Born to Run. Bowie, John Lennon, Tame Impala, oh, wow. Ramones, oh, wow. Warren Drugs. Yeah, she's, she got the best crew. He mastered this as well. So they just, this is like a dream team, all kind of hitting, especially when it comes to like Sean Everett and these producers. Mm-hmm. They're, they're all hitting their peak at the well, perfect time. And especially because a country, female country musician is not usually going to go out to these alternative places generally to find someone to do this work for them it's it's such a wise choice and i think that's also you know again i think we'll maybe we'll touch on it later at some point but the new killers record for me kind of falls in the same category as us not just because the production but but because it's like an artist who 
I, I wasn't paying attention to for the last few albums mm. is now putting out something that's like fresh and new and exciting mm -hmm. because they've gone out of their comfort zone. They've gone out of like the traditional. They have not followed through and been like, well, this is what we're supposed to do because we're a rock band. And that's why their new record's awesome, mm -hmm. in my humble opinion. What do you, I think an interesting thing to, to build on what you're saying, Matt, uh, as well, is how much do you guys think the expectations of Nashville, because I think that is an interesting thing that mm -hmm. seems to be sort of touched on in these interviews with her, but it's almost like talking about the mob or like Fight Club or something weird where it's like, you don't talk about it, but like there are all these weird expectations that seem to exist for female country artists, mm -hmm. especially. And the fact that she bucks all these conventions clearly has paid off for her. But why do you guys think there is such a like almost a harness or an expectation on female country artists? Such a good question. That's <laughs> a great question. I don't know if I would know the answer. I, I feel stumped. Do you have, do you have a thought? My thought would be, I, I have one small one, like, uh, and it mainly has to do with the fact that I think for so long country music was, uh, the realm of like, strong women and strong men who also weren't afraid to cry and be emotional. Like there's a great mm. um, broken record episode where Malcolm Gladwell talks to all these like seminal mm -hmm. kind of country songwriters. Um, and John Prine, who is, you know, uh, kind of like one of the number one influences for Casey. I think the number one for her. Yeah. Right? They, you know, they wrote these great songs that had a life of their own. And like even these artists that we've loved too, like Towns Van Zandt and, the outlaw country artists like all kind of brought their own thing to it. But it feels like in Nashville, it's become an, an industry. And it's like, if you want to come in and strut your stuff across the stage, there's a very specific way you do that. And there's a certain box you fill. Mm -hmm. And then if you look right and you sound right and you sing the, the right songs, we know what'll sell. Like, it's almost like, it's like pumping out at this point, you know, it's like pumping out a Marvel movie versus yeah. taking a chance on something more left to field. And I wonder if mainly it's, I feel like it has, I'm not trying to say Nashville is um, necessarily sexist or trying to hold anybody down, but I feel like there's probably a, just an expectation of this is how we do things. And um, they, and they just, they're like, we know what works. Yeah. And I don't think it's a secret that country music is sort of a boys club, right? It's also a money, it's been the money-making machine in the music industry for so long yeah. because yeah. it's kind of like the last bastion of like CD buyers and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And like it's very, it's become unfortunately formulaic. And I mean, there's also like the LA, London, New York scenes are like, have basically taken a page out of Nashville and it's, you know, morning and afternoon sessions of co-writing every day. And in Nashville, is it's apparently like unbelievable work ethic. Like they'll do something like two, three songs a day with different groups of people. And it just works as clockwork. And like the, wow. the whole publishing um, songwriter community is like so strong there. And obviously it's been a place that's like honored songwriting and storytelling mm -hmm. so well. But, oh, uh, sure. but, but maybe gone to the point of like... Uh, a bit stale like I, I personally like this is the only country record I've connected with and like probably outside of Ryan Adams like a decade <laughs> like 100% like I love outlaw country early kind of Graham Parsons Johnny Cash mm -hmm. and stuff and then for me it's just like zoom forward and this is the first one that's kind of hit me uh, in the gut oh, and part of my problem with country is it's always felt well you said you know formulaic 
but also it just has not felt sincere for a long time. Mm-hmm. I've always felt like, you know. And that is should be its like MO, right? But it should be. Yeah. Which, okay, but started. gentlemen, I would say there are probably a few artists you've heard of that you may have liked that uh, like maybe you have listened to a bit, but like Sturgill Simpson. Oh, yeah, Stur- yeah. Okay, Sturgill Simpson. Tyler Childers. But Sturgill Simpson, Simpson goes so far from like what is radio But country. dude, Coulter Wall, um, who we're listening to on the weekend, Broken Halos guy, Chris Stapleton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, he's great. Chris, Chris Stapleton's like, amazing. There's that kind of band of guys who are doing stuff that's like a little different. I think, I forget the producer's name. I should have written it down, but he's the guy that did Coulter Wall, Sturgill, and um, Tyler Childers. He's like... Uh, He's kind of like oh, Jason Isbell. Is Jason right. Isbell, yes, oh, yeah, he's worked with Jason yeah. Isbell. Um, but that's almost like they—they they almost verge on like I feel like you know, in some ways like almost like country, but also like Americana. Mm-hmm. And Casey yeah. Musgraves also doesn't fit in with those guys, which is also interesting because mm-hmm. I feel like they've kind of carved this interesting path. I would say a guy like John Moreland. I don't know if uh, yeah. if like I think I've shared him maybe a little bit with you guys, but he's I think a little bit outside of that, but a little bit more in the Americana camp. But anyway, even with those guys, she kind of doesn't quite exist in that world either. Yeah. So it's very I, I would say probably she leans towards like pop, like top 40 more yeah, yeah. than a lot of what you've been talking about. But her, mm-hmm. her ethic and her attitude is like alternative country and, and like off the beaten path pop. It's not, she's not like a, she's not like a clean cut persona. And I like that a lot. I think that's really cool. It's like uh, what you said earlier, Matt, like she's like a rebel in her own way. Monday I was gone. All right, so I've put a game together on the topic we've been having of Nashville and country. This is not necessarily a Casey Musgraves-based game, but this game is about country music. So I've written some fake country lyrics, but I've also sampled a bunch of real country lyrics. And it's you're going to... I'm not going to tell you how many, how many are fake, how many are real, but the job for you guys is to suss out which ones are real and which ones are fake so some of these are fake some of them are real you don't know here's your first one ready (laughs) okay sorry they're just great i'm a whiskey drinking cowboy chasing hell of a time i'm a full-grown queen bee looking for honey fake or real oh that's got to be real that sounds like a dolly parton lyric for sure yeah, I'm going to go real. Yeah. Brooks and Dunn, play something country. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, here's the next one. Her second cousin was my third grade teacher. I used to cut her grandma. <laughs> I'm laughing. These are fun. Okay, sorry. All right, number two. Her second cousin was my third grade teacher. I used to cut her grandma's grass. Back then, she was nothing but knees and elbows. Godly, did she grow up fast. Fake. I kind of like it's terrible, but like I kind of think it's real. It's real. <laughs> oh god. Oh, that's one nothing for Kale. I would say. I'm sorry. I, I my smile is ruining it can, because. Can you do these in some sort of country twang right, sure. slash melody?
That honky tonk, but donk a donk, keeping perfect rhythm makes me want to swing along. Got it going on like Donkey Kong. That's so fake. That's fake. You definitely wrote that. <laughs> that's real. What? What? Is, that's called a honky tonk, but donk a donk by Trace Adkins. That is why I don't listen to country music. <laughs> I'm a margarita cowboy. Tell you what I mean. It's a real rip snorter when I go across the border and I drink the key lime green. I mean, at this point, I'm in like grade seven quiz on one of those, you know, the things where you filled in the dots. Yeah, yeah, Scantron. I gotta say it's fake because we've had too many real ones. (laughs) I mean, I'm starting to think you're punking us and maybe these are just all real. (laughs) You didn't write any of them. Oh God, that's so true. What's your answer? Uh, the problem is that it kind of makes sense, so I'm going to say it's real. It's fake. It's fake? It's a tie game. Tie game. I wrote that. Yep. All right. Barbecue chicken in aluminum foil. Just mm. enough money for my gas and oil. Who needs shrimp and caviar? I'd rather have you just the way you are. That shit's fake. Yeah, I'm going to go fake. Oh, that's real. Oh. <laughs> it feels fake, right? Barbecue chicken in aluminum foil. And that was Shenandoah, next to you, next to me. Shenandoah? Where, where did you find yeah, these little nuggets? Okay, I'm going to just give my props now. There's a guy I work with. Well, actually, he just quit, but his name's McKinley, and he loves country. And I was like, can you text me the worst country that you can think of? And <laughs> he did, so then I Googled him. I Googled them all and, like, you know, made sure they're real. All right, I stand barefooted in my own front yard with a baby on my hip. Because I'm a redneck woman, I ain't no high-class broad. I'm just a product of my raisin. I say, hey, y'all, and yee-haw. That's so horrible. That is, <laughs> <laughs> like, I actually think that you're better than that. I'm going to say it's real because I just don't think that you could imagine something so bad. I have to go. I've I got to go with Loco with this one, man. Yeah, so you're both just, right. Yeah. It's Gretchen Wilson. That song's called Redneck Woman. <laughs> Dear God. All right. I respect you too much. Dude, <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. I think the fact that you just, you were like, I have too much respect for you to believe that you could even <laughs> fake that. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Okay. Um, well, guys, uh, we played our game. What about um, moving on to musical treats? Let's do it. Well, I want to just give the floor to Matt Walco for now because Matt has a way better ear for this than me. So let's let's hear your musical treats, man. Take us on a musical journey. Yeah, I mean, strictly from like, so to me, actually, I think the production on this record is equally as strong as the songwriting. Oh, I fully agree. It's like, it's it's an audio treat. The whole record. I've just, actually been. 
I didn't know Daniel Tashian, who's the the primary. He's seven out of the songs, um, and and Ian Fitchek or whatever. He 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 co-wrote a lot of them too. He seems to be Ian seems to be more like the instrumentalist. Daniel seems to be more yes. the the like top line melody guy, mm-hmm. and he's a guitar player. Uh, but they're both playing the majority of the instruments. But to me, like she had a very specific idea for this record she wanted like futurism meets traditionalism so and there's all these like juxtapositions that she tried so that's why you get like daft punk vocoder with banjo happy and sad emotions on the same song and she says that 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 melancholy feeling which is like the same feeling you get from the smiths and the beach boys Mm -hmm. is what she's going for here and you know say happy and sad would be a perfect example of that but even like the the way the melodies go there's a certain kind of yearning uh, like they're they're just so gorgeous but I have been nerding out a lot on Daniel Tashian and like he's quite the songwriter and what's really cool is I've I've actually found out that he's responsible for all this music that I've loved over the last few years and I just didn't know who he was. So like um, Josh Rouse, I don't know if you guys know him, he's like a Nashville singer but like he co-wrote half of that. Um, a, a girl called Eddie, he did that recently, he actually just released a record with Burt Bacharach. Wow. Um, um, so what he brings to the table is like also this very adult mm-hmm. contemporary um, sound. He, he has his own band, the Silver Seas. And, uh, and anyways, it's, it's um, but he's just got a really like an incredible kind of natural ability to just create super catchy melodies. Um, but his own style is like a little jangle pop, a little steely dan. So he's definitely... The influence for like the more the like the Fleetwood Mac adult contemporary kind of sound on this record. Hmm. But when you mix that with all the kind of more fringy, you know, war on drugs stuff, it it really mixes well, which is strange. And it's totally. so, and this is the older guy, right? The guy that's uh, yeah, like and actually, it's I refer to him as Daniel. This T is this is a nice him. little bit of personal history trivia. Do you remember when we went to that? Um, guy who sold records in a like a dingy Burquitlam tower. Yes, and he had like a glass eye, and we had to make a reservation. So I was on like a garage rock, like tear at that time, and I bought a record by the Remains. And Daniel Tashian's dad is the songwriter from the Remains. What? And that guy, his dad played with like Emmylou Harris and Graham Parsons. And wow. he comes from this crazy musical family in Nash- Nashville. That is um, quite the story. I feel like we need to have a separate podcast just to hear about that. The Remains are this like this awesome garage kind no, of. No, I mean you guys. Box. You guys having to go book. Yeah, it was weird. But do you remember? Any, I, I bought like I, the seeds and all these awesome garage records. Dude, I remember you buying that seeds record, and for uh, a few years, uh, Matt and I lived together, and that was where that was like maybe my third or fourth serious vinyl buying trip. And I remember I bought like Jean Michael Jarre. I bought a couple Springsteen records. I bought a couple Motown records. I think I bought a couple Bowie records. Like I got like I like I got some like staples. I think I still have some sleeves. And he wrote at the price and yeah. like a note about every record on there. Yeah, it was. That's oh, so that was crazy. Tri- it was great. 
but yeah i mean t- sorry just going on in, in terms of the production on this record it's like they there's like yacht rock there's disco there's, oh for sure there's folk yeah. there's kind of like elvisy kind of um carl perkins type rock and roll and then it, and then they have like that little bit of country on top of it but to me like the biggest musical treat is slow burn and it's like you know musical painting of the concept of the song well and so, and and the, the the song is a mini version of the album to me as well oh interesting yeah like there's just so much in it that you're like oh this makes me feel like there's just so much of the album summed up and i, I feel like i when i read that they took it put from the end and put it into the beginning mm-hmm. i thought oh it's probably because it really does feel like a summation of all the ideas but also all the sounds and it mm-hmm. and it did come last like it was if like you said Matt it was the last song they wrote for the record and maybe in a way she like took all the components of the record and sort of like synthesized those on LSD um, <laughs> and there's an interest a great interview she does with um, Zane Lowe and he just gushes about like the way you two do about mm-hmm. a slow burn and he he has a great line where he basically says it's the song that draws you in and opens up the rest of the record yeah, I'm, totally. par- I'm paraphrasing but it's like yeah. he feels the exact same way he's like this is a song like the way you said when you heard it you're like Poof. it puts you in the state that you need to be to love the record the, the rest of the record totally. but to me like on a strictly like musical production standpoint it's like starts with that guitar then her voice comes in then and this is all like 16 bars like each yeah and then it's like then there's this banjo part and then there's another guitar part you know probably like a Nashville high string and then yeah. there's Rhodes and then there's bass and they just they 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 open up these layers like a like a rose opening and it just gets wow. more and more complex and then when the drums come in to me that is the moment we need to put in the podcast oh, when yeah. those drums hit and it's all about the reverb oh yeah and it's, it's so simple so too so simple and the drums sound incredible yeah. and uh, and the reverb is just so warm coming in basically when i heard this record for the first time i actually think i just went back and listened to slow burn three or four times i couldn't get over the feeling i had when those drums came in and the reverb and then the song just like keeps building from there so it's like synths guitar textures and pads uh strings and they get into that like middle eastern bridge thing yeah it's just so cool background vocals come in with these ooze um and then the bridge hits and then there's just like everything strips back to the guitar at like four minutes and it's just vamp on like slow burn and then she does what she's talking about she just sits in yeah. that groove and it's so cool the strings and she are does just that throwing. one melody that one melody which is that that with her voice just the one time yeah oh it gets me every time every time we play this record I'm always like here it comes oh
Yeah. The other thing for me, like the other musical treat, is like the use of pedal steel as texture. So there's pedal steel all over this record. Love pedal steel. Love is a wild thing. Happy and sad. Space cowboy. <clears throat> but they don't use it in like the traditional country kitsch way, which she has on her previous records. Um, they use it as this like the same kind of thing that you know like essentially what edge and you two are doing with like delays and reverbs and creating textural um, feelings and drones and stuff and it's just i mean i think we're all into eno's apollo and like but like it's pulling from those sorts of spaces rather than traditional country using it so tastefully too is there Their musical treat is High Horse, which is one of my favorite songs on the record. And the uh, Rod Stewart, Do You Think I'm Sexy string samples are just incredible. Like, it's like country disco, but it's all about those strings for me. And uh, it's kind of got this I did spaghetti. not know they were from... Well, they're not sampled, but it's the same. Oh. It's like... It's just like the same kind of gross synth string from the 70s um but uh yeah and then the spaghetti western guitars like there's all these exactly like all the guitars have like a little tremolo a little warbly super simple lines but like very hooky and rich sounding that's cool then the last part is like modulations there's multiple modulations on this record so key changes usually coming out of the bridge and they just bring this like extra lift i mean the biggest one would maybe be like space cowboy so that's the guitar solo yeah and it's it's so it's been known as like you know mariah carey celine dion kind of cheese Mm -hmm. but when it's done well like in this setting you barely notice it but you're impacted by it and like it it just it opens up the song and it takes these really simple songs and adds like a whole different feeling so yeah i mean those are just a couple of of my favorite kind of music issues I wanted to. Ju- I was just going to comment on that as well because um, I didn't quite get it initially. But they, when she does that modulation live on, I think it's uh, the Tonight Show, like the audience starts applauding, and I was like, because she did a key change. Like I didn't quite get it, but like because it doesn't. I don't think you get quite the same impact on a YouTube video, but like in person, they must have just. Been like, they must have just been overwhelmed. Like one thing that honestly opened up the record for me more was in doing some of the research was there's a great episode of Switched on Pop where those two guys just like geek out super hard on butterflies. butterflies. I've listened to that, yeah. And I, uh, butterflies is not 
my favorite song. It is, uh, I think, interesting because of the the fact that it was the first song she wrote after she met Rustin yeah. Kelly. And it was the first song that helped her start to get into what this record would be. Because uh, if, if we may, if we could talk briefly about the... Well, 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 well let's visit the love story in a minute. Get into it. Do it. Okay, well, let's get into it. But um, what for me, that, that episode of Switch on Pop opened up like some specifics on like how intentional everything was that was going mm-hmm. on there. So to just paraphrase what they talked about was how the fact that throughout the song, the way the song kind of lifts and drops almost imitates the the wings of a butterfly mm-hmm. and the fact that she doesn't actually say um you give me butterflies until at the end of the chorus so it's almost mm-hmm. you're almost a minute and a half into the song before you actually hear the line that is describing what the subject matter is how she kind of dances that, around oh, it dun, 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 dun. it's just so light and airy dun, dun. and delicate yeah yeah and it's just it like the musical melody perfectly encapsulates the textual painting of the lyric and it all works together so well. And it's like it's one of those things where I remember in university taking a film studies class on like Kubrick and, and Hitchcock. And there were certain points where I was like, I know these guys are like kind of like ultimate masters, but there are certain things my prof was pulling out where I was like, that kind of sounds like that kind of sounds like bullshit, you know? Like I don't know yeah. if like how intentional every minute element would be. But then when you start to dig into it, and I think that's where the truly great artists um, and I think that's where the great collaborators come in. It's like where you bring these guys who are hoping to weave in all these elements. We're like, mm-hmm. well, we know this is what Casey wants. She's very intentional with what she wants. And then if you break it apart, you can have a 29 minute episode where these guys are just like, look at all these cool little, these little cool little treats, these cool little notes that are mm-hmm. all playing into the theme of what the song is trying to do. Yeah. I think that gets into what you were talking about of how it's like everyone's kind of hitting their peak because everyone gets oh like the mixer. The producer, the songwriter, it's like we all get what this song's trying to do. So let's make that song be as impactful as it can be. We should not be a bunch of uh, guys talking here and not acknowledge the fact that like, she's also the co-producer on this record, no, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and she sure. was known as they called her the Axe Man because, like Daniel and Ian, were apparently like building all of these textures, and they're obviously like just so fluid with their instruments and mm-hmm. and apparently like in slow burn Ian like created this whole middle eastern kind of raga thing at the end and she is just was apparently notorious for just being like nope pull it back yeah i would not want anyone to think we think that like she just like threw some lyrics out and then these guys did it all it's like she no, was like in a, there not the vessel she's like the driving force she's lucas on the job and side. the vessel yeah she's both yeah, yeah. She's the, uh, what, what's the boss of the job site called? The, the site super? She's the site super. She's man. the project manager and the site super. Yeah. <laughs> and a few of the carpenters. Um, so this is a sort of a unique segment for this episode where I, I uh, call it Heartbreak Hotel, where we take a minute to take on the emotional weight of this record for me. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> the for paparazzi, you know, side story that's happening. Exactly. Well, since my baby left me. Well, she's from Texas. She's from East Texas. East she's Texas. from she's from Golden, Golden Texas. Golden that's, Texas. Why the, that's why the that's why the Golden Hour. So we'll put it in. Have um, we talked about that? No, we haven't actually. She, oh, she loves her hometown, Golden Hour. Okay, I love that song. That's why it's called. That's why it's called Golden Hour. 
Just oh. Golden. I didn't know. Actually, I just, also yeah, I we're know from BC. Golden, BC. Beautiful place. Don't stay there. For Only long. musicians from Canada know Golden, BC because they have to go through there to yeah. get to their next show. And I played there once, and trust me, they don't like people who ain't from around there. Okay, well, let's pull it. Uh, let's take it. Uh, let's put it back let's in East Texas. Let's get, let's emotional. get emotional in East I, Texas. So, blow my mind. Um, so Casey Musgraves comes off uh, a couple of years of being on the road and, and touring the first two records, and she's in a bit of a creative fog. She is not entirely sure where she wants to take her sound or where her, she wants to take her music. And her ex-boyfriend, who was this sort of like like blackjack dealer looking dude that was in her band for the first couple of records. Um, I don't know why. I, I just don't like it when I look at pictures. What of a great way to, to describe someone. Like yeah. he, he looks like the manager of a bonanza, you know, like he just doesn't like, <laughs> he just is not the kind of guy that I would, would picture her with. And, uh, anyway, it's, you know, it's fine. But, uh, so she, um, she and him break up and, um, I believe it's him. I'm not sure, but, um, she goes to the Bluebird Cafe, um, which is a quite famous, uh, bar in Nashville that's known for doing these songwriter nights. So they have, it's, it's very like. They have like church pews in a corner. It's like carpeted. It's not that nice. You like like, workshop your songs there. Yeah. Yeah. So they do these rounds. So it's like you have like six artists who all sit on stage and they all face each other. So the stage is kind of in sort of the main section of the bar, but everyone kind of sits in like a semicircle around it. And uh, but the artist can't see kind of people in the crowd. So um, she goes to see um, her ex-boyfriend who she's on friendly terms with, play some songs. And she is looking at the back of this dude who starts singing a song about a guy who is trying to get himself in a place where um, he can accept the love this woman's trying to offer him. And uh, she gets emotional and she's like, this is amazing. This is like John Prine and starts like crying during some of these songs. And after the end of the, the sessions of the round, she goes up to him and he turns around and she's like, Hey, I don't really ever do this, but like, here's my number. Um, we should write, do a write sometime. Uh, and he describes it as being like, I turned around and there's like Casey with like her long, thick black hair and in a black dress. And he's like, this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. So they exchange info. And then three months later, they got together at Casey's house for a songwriting session. And they talked till 3 a.m. And um, I assume only hold held hands, you know, since they weren't <laughs> married. And, yeah. uh, and they were together like basically ever since that. And I think nine months later, they, they got engaged at her the house she grew up in and um he wore a velvet suit he wore vel- velvet elvis <laughs> yeah also interesting about velvet elvis as a side note is that um i listened to this interview she did with a guy from uh i think james james corden show but she bought a re- she found a real velvet elvis painting at a junk shop and has it in her bathroom so that's also right. part of it too which i thought was interesting where i was like also because i like velvet paintings and i'm like why would you put that in your bathroom? That seems like a bad idea. Seems like a good place. Moisture-wise. For that one, because we'll talk about that song later. Oh, yeah. Um, so, basically, they... Uh, Isn't there a, a Johnny Cash there that like, got married in a fever? Like, that sounds like married in a fever, right? Yeah, that's... Yeah. Um, it ain't me, babe. Yeah. We got married in a fever. So, they were... Because, yeah, they're engaged in under a year. And the way they describe it, it sounds euphoric. Like, no, it, it sounds like sound, they It were sounds just, incredible. It's, and then it just sounds like they hung out on their porch and dropped acid, wrote songs. Went to, went to the like restaurants. Hands. Yeah. It sounds like they were just blissed out for... A lot of hand-holding. The two years. Which, but I think... And, like, obviously, like, this is the type of thing where 
Um, we just don't know. We don't know, like, obviously what's going on. But I think maybe sometimes when we get these records that we get really invested in, it's like we project this, like, these people have found the perfect relationship because she wrote this record about it. They've captured this moment and, like, like almost like they are encompassing, like, the best of what a relationship can be. And so we need them to be successful because they're like a, a torchlight for what can be. So here, here's what I would want to sit down with. If I could sit down with Rusted and, like, pro. What happened? What? Because here's my thoughts. It's either that you married a woman who is because Rustin is also, and we've acknowledged he's an incredible songwriter. He's a great musician, but definitely not as successful any, anywhere near Casey. But he's up and coming. So is it like is it part of the fact that she's on the road all the time and you're on the road all the time? Is it the fact that she's achieved this like worldwide catastrophic? Level of, yeah, catastrophic success. Stratospheric success. <laughs> is it the fact yeah. that you guys just? got to know each other better and you realize there's certain things that don't work is it um like the fact that you but doesn't he have a lot of uh tunes about his own addictions and stuff that could play a part too he does not not to steal your thunder but like doesn't she say she she did send an instagram like it doesn't have to be this way or like it, it it puts some sort of like emphasis on the fact that like maybe he needs to smarten up I see. I, I'm trying to think about the. Uh, cause my, wow, you guys know way more than me. Because I think the post you might be referring to is she has a previous song called "Like It Is What It Is," mm-hmm. and he responded to that, "It doesn't have to be." Okay. So that is something where I think, and what I'm wondering is that part of it is that it got. I think it got hard. I think it got hard right. for them, and part of me wonders: Is it like was it Casey that's just like this is too hard, and I just can't give this what it needs. Or is it Rustin being like, um, I I don't know. I just I, mean, I need. Got, exp- it's I need got it. to Guys. be love is a wild thing. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> you got two. First and worst. 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 It's time for my favorite segment of the show, and that is. First and worst. Now, I think, Walco, you're our guest. So you should first tell us, what do you think are the worst lyrics on this album? Worst lyrics for me are mother. Okay. And, and it's basically the first verse. Okay, well. Bursting with empathy, I'm feeling everything. The weight of the world on my shoulders. Hope my tears don't freak you out. They're just kind of coming out. It's the music in me and all the colors. It's mostly that first line bursting Why? with it. I there. I do have a line where it just gets too sappy, and that one for me feels like I'm in a Brene Brown mm-hmm. uh, like a TED talk. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I just got dropped into something. Like it's just it's too on the nose. Um, and it's just a little too much. Interesting, because that's the I other love ha- that's the other acid song. Yeah, and and that's fine. I don't really have any affinity to acid, but to me, the it's uh, it's just like I love that idea of the song. She actually talks about how like she called her mom on acid, and her mom was like, "I just can't get this Texas dirt out of my fingers," and and that was like the thing that just broke her open to write the song. And that's beautiful. And like the fact mm-hmm. that she was thinking of her mother, thinking of her mother. And I love the 
rest of the song, but every time that first line, I just want to skip past. Matt, what's so funny though, what the reason I, I drew the connection is because my least favorite lyric, my worst, another acid riddled song called Golden, or no, called Slowburn. Now Slowburn's incredible, but this line, from the very first time I've heard this record, it's the one part of the record that I'm always like, here it comes. And it happens, I'm like, there it was. Is, you know, the bar down the street doesn't close for an hour. We should take a walk and look at all the flowers. I don't know why. It just feels like she was like, our flowers, good enough. Which is ship it. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Ship it. I know that that's not how that record was made, and I know it's not true, but it feels that way. And the rest, nothing else in the record to me feels like the bar doesn't choose half an hour. We could take a walk flowers it but, just feels so wrong to me like slow burn is like yeah somebody on acid but it's like dude like when i look at my hand my hand's looking at me yeah. and i'm looking at the sky and the sky's and it's like you're talking to somebody but, who's yeah. like yeah. saying the most mundane stuff she like, did not write either of these songs on acid let's let's just be clear about that she was inspired to write them after being on acid like, I mean, there's I, no way you're writing I these feel, lyrics on acid. i feel like you could write a song on acid well, she spe- but she did specifically say with mother in this, like she sat the on her 70s porch. The seventies did happen. She just sat on her porch. She dropped LSD, thought about slow burn and how she liked Made to slow some burn. Males probably. And she was like liked, re- and she thought about how she liked it with relationships, with food, with sex. Like, well, then there's then, no excuse for that lyric then if it wasn't on acid. But here's the thing, bro. We're three dudes, and women fucking love flowers. <laughs> I'm just gonna put it out there. So like, this section's always tough for me when it's a record I really like because I feel like. Like it's like it's so subjective. Like what we think a, a worse lyric is, or like that takes you out of it. And so but this we're one, right. But this one, um, so, so, <laughs> so my wor- worst lyrics are: smoke your own smoke and grow your own daisies, mend your own fences, own your own crazy, mind your own biscuits, and life will be but great. But that's not in this album. I know, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Did you literally think that's? <laughs> I'm kidding. I was debating to see. If oh, I could those are those are really. Uh, that's, Very special lyrics. Um, so uh, the worst lyric I pulled out was just one that I felt was... It's tough because I think the line works really well and it does not take me out of the song. But in terms of just a cheesy-ass lyric, I was like, yeah, this this is one that fits in the like uh, category for me is um, I don't know how to lasso the love out of you from Wonder Woman. Oh, which yeah. I feel like is a song I really enjoy. And, and having seen her perform it live, I really enjoy the melody to it. And it fits the character because Lasso or Wonder Woman has um, a lasso of truth. So if you yeah. lasso someone, you have to speak truth. So I mean, that's a that's a bad one actually because that makes a lot of sense in the song. I just it's just cheesy. The whole to, song to me cheesy. though, you're so right because that song's cheesy, and then it's so like um, literal. The metaphor mm. of like Wonder Woman becomes so literal. It's like yeah. she. It's like I ain't Spider Man. I can't sling the webs. It's like I just. It's yeah, too yeah, little yeah. for me. But when she totally when she it. says like all that, but like oh God, it's it's a great line, and like she delivers it so well. She's like all that gold must get heavy, and like she just has this little like wink and a nod at the audience, and you're like, oh, like it's mm-hmm. so good. So like I I struggle with saying it, but I just feel like it's so cheesy. Like uh, first, first. Uh, well, let's just do the same order. Guest first. I'm gonna go with Space Cowboy chorus. 
oh my goodness, that's mine too. Uh, and I know that it might be seen as like cheesy, like, oh, okay, whatever, Steve Miller reinterpret. Yeah, but, but I think it's like dude, so clever. And to to so, have a song called yeah. Space Cowboy where I listen to it and I, I don't even think about the original. Yeah. Guys. Okay, let's read them in unison. Guys, hold on, hold on. Wait. Uh, it's, it's three. Oh! <laughs> okay, let's read them in unison. So you can have you your can ha- space. Wait, no, we'll start on the count of three. One, two, three. You, you can, can have, have your space, cowboy. cowboy. I ain't gonna fence. This is terrible. <laughs> okay. I don't think there should okay. be saying audio. Okay. You know what's crazy? The, like, look. So this no. to me, what I loved was like her story. She apparently like takes writing lessons. She's with her writing teacher, and apparently this like stallion comes rushing at her, and she's behind the kind of fence, and uh, and she just stuck her ground and waited, and the horse came straight up to her, and her her instructor was like, "Girl, like if he wants to go, he's gonna go, and uh, and like ain't nothing gonna like kind of close the gate is going to stop him and then the fact she that she took that line and basically put it in so Mm -hmm. when a horse wants to run there ain't no sense in closing the gate is like i love when lyrics come out of like real conversation yeah and especially with real characters like i'm sure her writing instructor is and this is insane that we all three had the best lyric yeah i also love just that we've been mocking country a little bit tonight just talking about the tropes yeah and she says uh, go on, ride away in your Silverado, which Silverado is like a famous uh, truck. Yeah. And to have it in a song where the word Silverado comes across as like beautiful. Yeah. And you're like, that's a truck that construction workers drive. But dude, it's yeah. somehow she's done it. Silverado also represents though. And, and when I. The movie Silverado. This song really speaks to me because of like a lot of reasons, which we'll get into. But she heard the line Silverado and she's like, oh, like she grew up in Kelowna. And she's like, that's like white trash dudes drive Silverados. Yeah. And exactly. Like, that's, it's like, you know that. And like, again, that's where she's so good. Uh, yeah. She's and, not picking a Dodge even, Caravan. Like, I know my place, which would be like something that this asshole would say to her. Like, you should, you should know your place. Like, what you can say and what you can't. And it ain't with you. And even the fact like she uses ain't, which is like a total country trope. Mm-hmm. Sunsets fade and love does too. Like, again, is like a country kind of idea. But, it just feels so fresh. Yeah. Um, and the, the production and the also helps. punctuation. Space, punk, uh, mm-hmm. comma, cowboy. Oh, yeah. 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 Space. Yeah. Cowboy. But, yeah. Well, yeah. And, but uh, also, she leaves so much space. You can have your space. Two, three, four. Cowboy. Oh, I love that kind of like little text painting stuff. Oh, it's so good. Dude, uh, there's honestly, so... Oh. I can't believe that we all had the same favorite. Yeah, Cable my then. my specific favorite though. Can I just say in that song was, we had our day in the sun, and I'm a little embarrassed because like when I was looking up the lyrics, I thought it was, little horse wants to run. There ain't no sense in closing the gate, and it's when a horse wants to run. For some reason, little horse wants to run. I really like that line. It makes it a little less favorite because I would, but it's you know classic. I would say strong contender, strong contender for my other favorite line is. Uh, I need a Graceland kind of man who's always on my mind. I like that line a lot. Yeah. I like you that line like a that. lot. Yeah, you would. That's, like, that's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's like one line away from me. Like, I need a Springsteen man. Or oh, yeah. You know who um, doesn't? Everybody. Matt and I also have a very special connection to this song. Space Cowboy. Yeah. 
because we played it live one time. Oh, yeah. And then on the way home, we came we? Up, I came up with some alternate lyrics <laughs> with Matt. Together, we came up with, uh, <laughs> come sit on my face, cowboy. <laughs> right. <laughs> How could I forget? Come sit on, on my face, cowboy. <laughs> and then we'll, There's something like yeah, that. Yeah. Let's not I'm, get into the details. Okay, so can... um. So we, I can't believe it hasn't come up till we'll this point. Probably delete that part. The lovely heroes and zeros song, provided by this guy right here, Matt Walco, who's going to tell us his zero. My zero is Oh What a World. Oh. Ah. Um, Strong contender for me as well. It reminds me of being... I have a, a specific experience actually with Kale of going camping with somebody who is like as high as a kite and was just like going on like... And there's very few things in the world that are as fun. Like it, it was terrible just to see somebody basically talk about the most like mundane things like they were like the most insightful things ever and that's how i feel about this song um specifically like these are real things that line just these are real it feels things. so throwaway and then the fact that like after all that blah 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 and then she's like and then there is you and I'm just like, what? Like, we're talking about Earth and the environment and how beautiful everything. And, and she then put up this song as like an Earth Day song, too. Yeah, I but then it's, it still, doesn't, yeah. doesn't make sense. The the melody's report, uh, like repetitive. It's boring. I feel like it's a filler song. Mm. Um, and then for me, like with Mother right after, this is absolutely the lowest point of the record. Interesting. Um, my... Worst song is Velvet Elvis, and I know people like it. I just worst song. I don't, dude. I just every time it's. You have heard this record a lot. Is it one that starts to grate, like it goes from sweet to too sweet to poison? It's not even that. It's that I just I had a really hard time because I thought, oh, what a world, high horse, or this one. But Those I thought, are your worst. But because I just high the, horse. The high horse is just. The disco repetitiveness, I just can't. That song, just every time I hear it, I'm just always like, all I ever wanted. And I'm just like, no, I don't want to hear this song. It's just highly skippable for you. It is, and it's weird because Rena, my wife, loves it. It's, it's not her favorite, but she loves it. What do the kids call it? It's a bop? She thinks it bops. I think it flops. Well done, Lucas. Oh, thank you. I'm waiting all day to use that. Kayla, what do you got? So uh, my zero is Mother. It's the song I continually forget about every time I put the record on. And it's like I go do – it's like the song I'd like – I was like, what is Mother? Like I had to listen to it again today. And I keep forgetting. Like it's, it just drops out of my brain. You know what I mean? Like, Thank God it's a minute and a half long. It's I know. basically an interlude. But it's, it's, an, it's an it's interlude. It's an interlude too long. It's just one where I'm like I don't – and she and what was weird is like she did a video for it. And um, it, it was just sweet. It's like her at the piano, and then like her mom comes up at the end. Um, but it's kind of like it just to me is similar to how you described Oh What a World. It is just feels like fine? a little. Well, her mom's. Um, you, you know, what her mom actually looks like the woman from that famous Dust Bowl picture with the two kids, kind of like 
their hand on her face like this, you know, kind of looking out like, how we're going to, Jim, how we're going to feed the, cro- how we're going to do with the crops this year, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's like kind of like a Grapes of Wrath kind yeah, of Yeah, she looks very Grapes of Wrath vibe, I think. Interesting. Unless it's an actress, but I mean, I hope it was That's what Golden does to you, I guess. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Matt Walker won Golden Zero. Golden, what are you going to do? Um, yeah, so uh, that was my... Uh, so, Matt, what was your hero of the record? My hero is Slow Burn. I could listen to that. That that song buys admission to the rest of the record with full attention Yeah, to me. That song, the so- it's an incredible song. It's an incredible song. We've talked about it a fair bit tonight. It's just like, I love the short stanzas, Born in a Hurry, Always Late, Never Been in a 88. Like, there's like a little short story, bam, right off the bat. It pulls you in. It's like personal. Um, and then, like, I already talked about the production. It's just like all about those layers just building 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 the drums come in um and then it just peels all back again it's just like it's such a gorgeous record um yeah so my second would be high horse actually i don't know if that's uh tells a little bit about me those are fighting words for me bro I, I was going to say that wasn't shade earlier. I know um, like you have turned me on to the Doobie Brothers. You turned me on to some incredible Yacht Rock. And I know you have a deep love for um, Oates and Hall and like, and like various disco. Hall and Oates. Yeah. Or Hall and Oates. <laughs> <laughs> One of the highest selling uh, you know, duos like saying, of all that's time. That's like saying Dunn and Brooks. Yeah, I can't believe I just but, fucked that up. Yeah, anyways. But we're you know not, what I mean. We're but not like, going to talk about High Horse. But that no, but here's second. the thing, dude. I remember when the album came out, you loved High Horse. And I remember being like, I, I don't like this song. Yeah. But I also but think I'm a, that... I'm like a McCartney disciple. You might be <clears throat> John Lennon. And Harrison. Right. Harrison. Like I'm, I'm okay I actually with love like, Paul McCartney too. But like you know, like when he writes cheesy love songs, like I'm into it. Yeah, yeah. No, well, me too, man. Do, and I don't know what it is. It's just something with High Horse, the disco beat, the feel it up. It just it never connected as much. But again, I I think Velvet Elvis. I don't like that one as much. My favorite song. Is it time for my hero? It's time for your hero, Lucas. Are you done, Matt? Please. Okay, love is a wild thing. I think that song is the peak of the album to me. It's, it's great. The song to me, it's it's understated in a way. It's like if the rest of the album is like candy that's really sweet, this is like kind of candy. It's like you chew it and you're like, it's good. And then later you're like, mm-hmm. I want more. I want to taste more. So the song rich. to me is just so oh, lush. Great. The lyrics are beautiful, simple. And then the chorus, man, I just, every every time I hear this song, I'm like, this song rules. We were camping this summer and I, I was playing the chords and my wife was singing it. And that was the moment I was like, when we do this album, this is my hero. It was just, it's just, I just love it. I love everything about it. Great tune. That was a song that stood out to me even on the early on listens. I was like, okay, I really like this song. And love like, is a wild thing, right? Isn't it so wild? It so is. Um, Untamable. <laughs> And when you try and tame it, you put it in a pen like a horse. And then a horse needs to run. And sometimes that little horse needs to run. <laughs> uh, so I would say my my hero is Space Cowboy, hands down. Hey, because no shade here, man. That song rules. When and I know it was like one of the big singles, which I again I didn't know. It just when I thought back on the record, I'm like, what song? For me, it was a toss up between, not quite a toss up, but it was a close 
race between Love is a Wild Thing and Space Cowboy. And what I realized, one of my favorite things about, especially country music, is sad ballads. I'm such mm. a sucker sad for bangers. a sad ballad. Like, I actually have, uh, I don't know if you saw In the Bathroom, Matt, but... Uh, I did. You have In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning in your bathroom. Which you gave me. Which we often listen to late at night and kind of, you know, poured over our sad existence in our early and mid-twenties. Oh, man. Like, just like pop... Sad Sinatra <laughs> is its own genre of which I am an absolute... I'm so happy about I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan. Of it always reminds me music. of Sleepless in Seattle because it's in the soundtrack of that movie. In the wee small hours. In the wee small hours. You gotta forget that shit. Morning. It's it's you, like well, like, I wish I could, cover. but dude, it's my childhood. Okay, okay. So as we um, so as we wind things down, we've had like a great discussion tonight. I love where the conversation is. Yeah, gone, I'd what, say it's been a real into. golden hour. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> or two. Finally got one, I Lucas. Got you snuck it in at the end. Hey, yo. Um, so before we kind of end you with a couple of records, um, Matt, do you think Golden Hour achieves, uh, let's say, classic status um, for Casey? Does Buster's? it make the canon? I mean, I don't really know her back catalog like this record. I've gotten into a little bit. I don't really care for it. So I'm more thinking of like in my record collection that I would pass down to my child, this is a classic for this era. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like one of the better records of the 2010s. It would probably make for me. It would make like top 30 to 40 records. Cool. Wow, that's huge. What about, what about you, Cal? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's interesting because I hear that question and my brain goes like. Is it a classic for me? Is it a classic for everybody? Um, I would say, for me, this record is a new, like, a, a little bit of a new nugget of joy where I'm like, I really enjoy it. I wouldn't say it's a classic for me personally. I think for Casey Musgraves, 100%. This is, like, her seminal record. Absolutely. I feel like all the stuff she was... Like, to see an artist who's, like, had success, like, quite significant success, and then to kind of buck that and do something so in line with what their vision is and to be so successful at it. And for it to be like a, a yeah, a, a, this is a classic country record with pop, with yacht rock, with psychedelics. Um, it's, it's great. And I would say, yes, it does have classic status. It's one that should be remembered fondly and whatever the rest of her career looks like. I, I wish her a long and fruitful career, but I think golden hour is going to be a very, very special record in her catalog. Yeah, and myself, I'm gonna I'm going to agree with Entertainment Weekly and say it was the best album of twenty eighteen. I think <laughs> I was really proud of that. Okay, so uh What you vibing? Lucas, what are you uh, what are you vibing? Okay, I had such a hard time with this because I'm vibing so much right now. <laughs> Dude, there's well, there's just so much good stuff right now, but I think in the spirit of the episode, I'm going to say that if you were gonna, if someone said, "What should I be listening to today?" I'd say, "Listen to Rustin Kelly's Dirt Emo because it's so fun." Now, I'm in my mid-thirties. Almost every song on that album 
There's a Save the Day cover. There's a My Chemical Romance cover. He does Teenage Dirtbag. He does. He does Blink Ride Two. He does what Dash Ryan Adams Marshall. did to 1989 Taylor Swift, essentially. Yes, he like dirtifies, Americanifies. But I love that it's called Dirt Emo, which is so great. Um, I'll just throw a little other side thing. I just I really like the New Killers record too. Mm. Again, another text from you, Matt Walco. It's very helpful. I, but um, it's a great record. You know, there's some there's some killer songs in there. Yeah, good one. Screw <laughs> it. It's a little obvious. Yeah, but it was good still, because it took me a second. Uh, so I'm I, I would say like mostly that 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 uh, Rustin Kelly album, Dirt Emo. It came out about a year and a half ago. It's a real fun listen if you're. Above the age of 25, you'll get it. I just hit me now that I wonder if he started doing those covers because maybe that's when things started hitting the rocks and he started listening to more emo music. God damn it, we're ah. back at the Heartbreak Hotel again. Oh, you know? we're back again. God damn it. I'm so sorry. That's probably my fault. It's hard to leave. Or what's that line from Hotel Comfort? You can check in, but you can never leave. But ho- no. <laughs> uh, Heartbreak Hotel is, is not the same. No. They're, they're I'm different thinking chains. of Hotel California. Yeah, you can check in, but you can. So never it's leave. the it's the Heart Type Hotel, Heartbreak Hotel in California. Yeah, but Ho- Hotel California is right down the street. Right, it's the next place you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I like about the the Heartbreak Hotel in East Texas though is that you can leave to go outside and smoke a cigarette with John Prine, which is technically in heaven because mm-hmm. you know now that he's passed away, yeah. his goal was to smoke a cigarette that was nine miles long, and that was his in heaven. He's like, there has to be cigarettes, like. Cigarettes are the best. And like he hadn't been able to smoke for like 20 years. And so that whole lot on his last record, that line where he's like, I want to smoke a cigarette nine miles long. I'm like, that's what I want to do with John Prine in heaven, I hope. He's going to just smoke with him like for a day, you know? That'd be amazing. <laughs> All day. If they're smoking in heaven, it won't cause cancer. Yeah. Those be fluffy, fluffy, cloud puffy. Uh, Matt, what are, you, uh, what are you vibing? Yeah. To, to build on the theme that Lucas laid out for us very close to the episode, I've been going deep on Daniel Tashian's music. Oh, cool. So, he has his band, The Silver Seas. Highly recommend High Society and Chateau Revenge. And it's... Chateau Revenge? Yeah, he doesn't... It's like one of those records that doesn't like misplace a single note. It's like a... Like it's like a songwriter's songwriter's album. Like wow. the way when I listen to like Ron Sexsmith, I'm like, this music isn't gonna go anywhere. But I'm inspired by the craft. Same with like Josh Rouse, and and he's been involved in that. But then this guy has been super busy during the pandemic. He just released last week Landscapes Volume Two Ambient Music. Very cool instrumentals. Ooh. He did a children's album called Mr. Moonlight with his daughter like last month. Um, and then he, the month previous, he produced and co-wrote A Girl Called Eddie, which is called Bean Around. That came out on J- July 15th. Her previous record was with one of Kale and I's absolute... Oh, shit, sorry. One of Kale and I's absolute favorite artists of all time, Richard Hawley, oh, man. who I adore, and he produced her last record, and now this guy, Daniel Tashian, is like taking the torch. So that means like a lot to me. And then to top it all off, he's worked with like one of the absolute titans of 20th century songwriting, Burt Bacharach, and um, uh, Blue Umbrella. 
So I highly recommend checking out. Actually, there's a song, We Go Way Back, that like kind of made me emotional in the car the other day. It actually made me think of you, Kale. It's oh. like it's about Aww. it's it's about like two guys who go way back, and it's there's like kind of Stevie Wonder esque harmonica solos. It's it's super cheesy because Burt Bacharach is like 100 percent cheesy. But if you just like put that on the shelf and just get into the melodies, the beautiful thing about Burt Bacharach melodies are like pop music is like four bars, eight bar melody alterations. He'll do like 32 bar melodies. So it's something you can like as a singer, you can really deeply explore. They're complicated, interesting melodies. And uh, anyways, I've been enjoying that. Otherwise, he's been working, he co-wrote Tenel Town's Lemonade Stand. And our buddy Dylan Adams has been like barking at us, or at least at me, about that record. That is essentially like the second wave from this golden hour. It's essentially like a Nashville country songwriter girl who's kind of trying to do a crossover. There's some incredible songs on that record. And Daniel Tashian has written and produced that whole record. It's going to be a lot of links in the show notes, guys. Yeah. And lastly... One of my favorite music podcasts, if you're into this one, you might like this other one, Soda Jerker on Songwriting. Oh, and they just did an interview with Daniel Tashian and Burt Bacharach, and it's incredible. And he's like such a lovely guy. And you can totally see why he's such a strong collaborator because he's just like super warm, um, generous, beautiful guy. Amazing. Um, I've been really into David Blaine. (laughs) 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 I've been like, so I I can't remember how I came across it, but so David Blaine, tomorrow morning, we're recording this on September 1st. So September 2nd, tomorrow, he, uh, David Blaine. And like as a kid, when I was like 10 to 12, maybe more like 9 to 12, I just like went through a period where I loved magic. And uh, I would go to the games and hobby section at the library and get books out on magic. And um, we don't have time now, but I, I did pull out a card trick to show you guys later. But obviously on podcast, you would be able to see it. But um, I, uh, I've i just been so... I like I spent like an hour and a half last night just watching David Blaine magic, street magic tricks on YouTube. And I was better than, what's his name, Chris uh, Angel. Dude, Chris, I think Chris Angel's dead. He's a mind <laughs> freak, dude. <laughs> I mean, he's dead to me. Uh, so, but David Blaine man. clearly Camp David. Also, this is like a weird thing I didn't know about David Blaine is that like because he he's such a cool customer, like too cool. Like there was that whole meme like from years and years ago where people just like are making fun of the street magic thing, but he was actually a part of Leonardo DiCaprio's Pussy Posse in the nineties. So, um, which is, is a name they say they tell did not. me more. So. It was Leonardo DiCaprio, E from Entourage, Kevin Connolly, like the actor, um, the Tobey Maguire. Uh, there's like a bunch of other random dudes who you like know and have seen around in like movies and stuff. So um, they were like a famous squad. So they were just a, so they were all Leonardo Di- Leonardo DiCaprio's Entourage, and they would just rip around New York when they were all like 21, 22, 23. And there's a very famous. Uh, New York Magazine article where they call it, it's like Leo Prince of the City where she, the author she dubs gives them the, the that name and uh, anyway that's a whole other side of thing it just made it made it weird for me because I always thought of David Blaine as like an everyman who just 
kind of sat in a bare apartment and just like practiced magic. And then I was like, oh no, he was like a part of Leonardo DiCaprio's entourage, which is a little bit weird. But he's got a new uh, special. Titanic. Com- he's got a special coming out tomorrow where he's going to basically strap himself to balloons and then float 20,000 feet up into the sky with no- nothing except with a. Just balloons? With just balloons. And then. Um, he has a parachute hidden in the balloons. He's going to get out at about 5,000 feet and has to figure out how to put on. And then, um, and then he's going to fly down. So anyway, it just reignited a little bit of a love of, uh, reminded me of like my love of magic. So I've just been, uh, if you, if been you had given me Blaine. five guesses for a million dollars, I never would have got that right. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe.